This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with Eric Thompson. Eric is a licensed professional engineer and the Water Resources Engineering Team Leader at MSA Professional Services. And we've gotten to know MSA at EMI because we've helped them to design and deliver a custom project management development program And in this episode, Eric is going to dispel the misnomer that introverted engineers cannot be great project managers or team leaders. That's completely false because Eric is one. And he's going to talk about how he took on this leadership role, how the transition went for him, what skills he needed to build, and how he built them. Before we dive in, we'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Now let's dive into today's episode. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest onto the podcast for today. Eric Thompson is a licensed professional engineer. He's also the Water Resources Engineering Team Leader at MSA Professional Services. Eric, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you for having me. All right. So, Eric, can you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about your career journey to date and your current role at MSA? So, I've been a consulting engineer for 30 years. That's my uh, entire professional career. I started working in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area right out of finishing my master's program, working for a multinational engineering firm on a dedicated water resources engineering team. So, I was really lucky to have an opportunity to work immediately for a firm that had a specialty team working right in my discipline. While I was there, I had the opportunity to work on some really large local clients, which gave me an opportunity to, over the course of the seven years I worked there, develop what I would describe as an institutional knowledge. How do their water resources systems work? And then as various uh, different developments or different water resources projects came online, I learned how it affected that system, which gave me sort of a sense of why it's important to kind of see things through time from how it started to where it's ultimately going and how the things that we are doing as a human society are changing them. But I also got to work on some pretty large projects that were out of state all throughout the country. And I got to get really deep into a number of of highly technical sort of discipline related things as part of a larger project team. So those projects may not have been strictly water resources in nature, but they had a little component of it that I was able to be part of. So kind of I had both ends of the spectrum. I had highly detailed, involved water resources projects and projects where I was just part of a larger team doing something perhaps unrelated at all to water resources, giving me kind of that full spectrum view. When you have that kind of 
variability, if you will, in your career and your projects, you really do get to become a little more well-rounded because you're seeing all the different components of different projects, which I think is very helpful in general in the world of civil engineering. Eric, you're currently the Water Resources Engineering Team Leader at MSA. Talk a little bit about your journey leading up to this position. I know that's a big deal when an engineer, we're technical professionals, we need to really make a transition into leadership. Talk about that, how that transition kind of evolved for you. So as I mentioned, I started my career in Minneapolis and St. Paul, and I worked for that one firm I previously described, but then I transitioned to another firm and I worked there for a short period of time until we relocated to the Madison area. And at that point, I took employment with MSA. MSA did not have a dedicated water resources team at the time, and it was sort of put to me to build up a team and develop that skill set and client set here at MSA. One of the really interesting things, one of the great opportunities that this firm uh, presented to me was not only were we exposed to a whole bunch of different municipalities within the geography of MSA and, and therefore clients that I was able to work with, but MSA as a firm is really, really well networked. And so in addition to these, what we might describe as external clients, we had a lot of internal clients. And so again, similar to those projects I described at my prior firm that were very large and, and outside the state where I was practicing, we had lots of projects that were comparatively large, but outside the office that I was working in. And I got to do some little component of, say, for instance, a storm sewer design on a big highway project, or we got to design watercourse restoration as part of mitigation of some other project. And we were exposed to these internal clients that were really outward facing. They were the ones serving MSA's clients as a whole, but we were serving these internal uh, disciplines, these internal project managers that needed some water resources expertise. And by working with them over the years, they developed their respect for what was we were doing, the value of having an expert on their team. And then that allowed us to provide as a company as a whole, better services to our clients. And then all of a sudden, a dedicated water resources project would pop up from one of these clients that we had been working on, say for instance, maybe a street reconstruction or a bridge design or something like that. And they're like, hey, now we know you do this. How about you provide those services to us as well? And so I've been an MSA for 20 years and we spend a lot of our time still serving those internal clients, we, as we describe them, but we've grown to a team of 10 people and about half of our work is affiliated with external clients. So clients that we as a team serve directly and a lot of times the role is reversed. We'll get a big project and we'll need support for civil design or we'll need support for CAD drafting and things like that. And we turn around and we've got our own internal service areas that people provide to us. So it's been a really, really a great kind of a symbiotic opportunity here working in MSA with uh, the opportunities we've got both internal and external. A lot of times people don't think about that, but your interaction internally with the different disciplines and different professionals within your own organization can really prepare you for that leadership role and the external communications that you may have to take on just because you're just communicating, right? Communication is communication. And the more you do it, the better that you're going to get. So to that point, transitioning into a leadership role does often require a specific skill set. So what would you say are some of the key skills that you found really crucial in making this transition, especially in the field of water resources engineering? Well, certainly communication is very high at the top of the list. Often uh, we will get a phone call from a new person at MSA who maybe they're an uh, entry-level person and they're working with some other project manager who said, hey, you should talk to the water resources team about 
whatever aspect they're dealing with on the project. But a lot of times it could be someone higher up in the company, maybe someone we haven't worked with before because we just haven't had the opportunity to, or maybe they're a new project manager that we hired. And I always sort of tongue in cheek talk to my team about they've got to learn to speak the water resources language. But that's not necessarily their responsibility. It's our responsibility, right? We're the ones trying to convey that we live and work in this world and we have to use language that they understand. And that's not always uh, intuitive. One thing that comes up a lot in the CAD drafting world, the way that we on a water resources team would define an alignment and then determine what's left and what's right on that alignment is exactly opposite the way the highway folks do. And it's really important when we're talking to them about, hey, we need this alignment and we're going to put it into our modeling software or whatever it is we're going to do. It's really critically important that they understand that it's backwards and it's backwards, you know, up is down and, and right is left. And if we don't do that, we can get off on the wrong foot, waste a lot of time and, and cause a lot of frustration. Now, that's just one little minor detail in terms of communication. There's so much more to it than that. We've got to make sure that we're not talking at a really, really high level, like this coefficient or that parameter that they don't really care about may be super important to us, but we need to convey it to them in a way that they understand so they can give us the right kind of data. And we've got to communicate early and often, sort of a, another little bit of a joke, but whenever the phone rings, whoever's on the other end of that call, that's our number one client right now. Well, within MSA, there's over 40 different teams and each one of those teams at any different time could have projects going with us. And they're not aware of, of what the other 39 plus teams are doing. They just want their project taken care of. And we've got to make sure that we're presenting to them that, yep, they're important. We're working on it. We're taking care of it. And if we do end up getting jammed up, of course, we've got to be upfront with them and say, hey, we've got multiple priorities right now, lots of different deadlines that are coinciding. What type of flexibility do we have here? So absolutely communication is number one. Number two, this is me as a team leader and, and of course me as, as someone who's been in, in the business for a while, I think it's really important to let things go. I've got nine different people on my team. They've all got their different expertise. They've all got their different personalities and, and their own communication styles for that matter. And they've developed relationships with all sorts of different people. And it's really important, I think, for me to let them do their thing and not insert myself when I don't need to. Frankly, they're closer to the projects. They're closer to those relationships. And me coming in there and second guessing them can sometimes be damaging to the project progress as well as to their own relationships with those staff and, and their own confidence. And by staying out of the way and making myself available to help when they need it really does a good thing for keeping the team moving along and everyone professionally developing and having self-confidence and feeling good about what they do. Now, occasionally a person has to step in and say, hey, you know, I think we're kind of veering off track here and provide some guidance. But, you know, you don't need to come down on them and say they're doing it wrong. Let's just discuss what's going on and maybe we can adjust the progress and, and they can take care of things themselves. So if communication is number one, I think delegation and the conveying of the responsibility to the individuals who are actually doing the work is probably number two. A couple of things just to hit on there from what Eric said was, firstly, if you're working in a smaller consulting firm, this may really come into play as the firm grows, or maybe you find yourself in a larger project or organization in the future, taking advantage of the internal communication, especially at a younger age when you're mostly going to be communicating internally is really important. And I think if you can volunteer to take on any initiatives within the company that puts you on committees or gives you chances to communicate more with other people there, it's only going to help you develop. So look for ways to do that because 
We often forget about internal clients or internal communication, and we just think about, oh, I don't really get to talk to the clients that much. But that doesn't mean you're not building up your communication skills that you'll ultimately use if you were to take on a team leader or other leadership type role. So that's really important, I think. The second piece of this is the delegation. And what I really like what Eric talked about is, I always say there's a fine line or a balance with delegation, right? It's like, you want to let people do things to Eric's point, because that's how they're going to grow. But then you have to be careful. Like you don't want to stand over their shoulder, right? And just watch them the whole time because that's not a good thing. But at the same time, you can't just say, you know, go do this and I'll talk to you in a week. So I think there's like a really important balance as a leader into how closely you need to monitor people when you're delegating to them and how much assistance you need to give them. And listen, it's definitely variable, right? This isn't like an engineering equation. Every person's different. Some people get more leeway than others, but I just think as a leader in general, you should be sensitive to how long that leash is, if you will, because you want them to develop, but you don't want them to do something for 40 hours that's not making sense. And then you got to kind of go back and unwind it. So those two skills are critical. Communication and delegation are obviously intertwined in some way as well, but they're going to be really important in terms of building up yourself to become a leader. Let's talk a little bit about project management. Project management is a vital aspect of civil engineering. In fact, the way that Eric and I got connected is we developed and are delivering a project management development program for MSA, which has gone really well. I'd like you, Eric, to talk a little bit about your role in project management and how you approach managing projects within your team as the team leader. Being invited to this uh, podcast, of course, I had to do my research. All right. And what makes a good project manager and you know, get on the internet and make sure I'm not saying anything that's clearly wrong or out of step. And it was really interesting because one of the things that I have experienced uh, through observation, really, I'm certain I fell into this trap myself, maybe as a younger professional, as a younger engineer. But one of the things, if you look up project management, nowhere in any of these wider encompassing how-to type documents that you find, does it say as a project manager, you need to do the work? As folks grew up in their professional career as an engineer, they spent their younger lives engineering stuff. And then when you've got to make the transition to project manager, well, I can be the project engineer and manage it because I'm in the middle controlling everything and therefore I'll be the manager. And I think in practice that actually works quite poorly because you end up paying attention to, you know, what is it that you're engineering and, and how can we make that the best possible thing? And it's easy to lose sight of, well, what level of detail do we need? How far towards perfection are we striving? Are we staying on budget? Are we staying on schedule? Are we taking the time to communicate with the client, with the different project professionals to make sure that we're holistically working towards a common goal? And a lot of times if you're down in the trenches, you just don't have the resources for that. With sort of some experience uh, of my own in mind, because I am very introverted by personality type. And if you wanted to make me super, super happy, you would sit me in a corner and give me all kinds of engineering data. And I would crunch those numbers all day long and nobody would talk to me and everything would be great on my end. But that's not the role when you're the project manager. The fact is, is you've got some responsibilities to reach outside yourself and go and talk to these different people. And sometimes by consciously removing yourself from the engineering, you can do the project management so much better. I've had the great luxury of promoting someone on my team who's not an engineer to being a project manager. And this person is managing a couple of pretty large projects where they don't know anything really about the technical side of it, where we're designing some roads, we're putting in some utilities under those roads, and this is not the world that that person normally operates in. 
but they're focusing on what are we communicating to the client? Where's our budget at? Where's our schedule at? How are these permits coming along? You know, we need to get some field work done. Are the crews scheduled to do that? How are all the different things coming together? And this person is just excelling at it. And I think a great part of that is, of course, they're the right person for the job. They don't have the background to get into those details. And that forces them to trust the team to do what the team is doing. And that frees them up to manage the project the way it should be managed. We often say this in our project management program when we're giving administering the training is, as a project manager, you don't want to be working in your projects. You want to be working on your projects. And I think to Eric's point, we can easily get set back in because that's what we're used to. That's what we've grown up doing is doing the technical work. And so it really requires some discipline to be able to focus more on the project management side of things, more the business side of the projects. And it's an interesting example that Eric gave where someone without that knowledge may not get sucked into it as easily because they just, they don't do engineering, they haven't done engineering. So it's something interesting to navigate. But the other thing that I thought that you said, Eric, that is important is about introverts. A lot of engineers and technical professionals are more introverted, not all of them, but many of them. Sometimes there is a misnomer out there that you can't really be an effective project manager or a leader in the engineering world if you are an introvert, which obviously is certainly not the case. You're an example of that. There's many other examples of that. But if you're a younger engineer and you're worried about that, you can put in the work, you can develop these skill sets, and you can become a leader, regardless of whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. And that kind of leads me into our next question for you, Eric. Leading a team involves not only the technical skills, but also people management. So could you talk a little bit about your role in team management and how you've been able to cultivate a positive and productive working environment for your team? So where I'm at in my career right now, my team leadership style is very, very different than would have been even 10 years ago, but certainly 15, 20 years ago. And the reason for that sort of 15 year threshold is that's about the age of my children. In many ways, managing a team is similar to managing a family. People have different uh, levels of skill. They've got different levels of ability to take on responsibility and just different personality styles. And, you know, as a parent, one of the things that you have to do with your children is let them try stuff and let them fail. And that's how they learn. And sometimes you've got to step back and sometimes you've got to swoop in, but you have to really be observing what's going on to understand what to do. And some of that stuff as a leader, you have to learn by your own failures. And so what I might've done 10, 15 years ago is entirely different than what I would do now. The other thing, of course, is as your staff develops their own skills, well, you've kind of got to push them out of the nest a little bit and say, all right, now you need to take on those leadership skills as well. And so where I sit right now, I have four fairly senior people underneath me. And when we hire a relatively young professional, I remove myself to a degree from the training, from the mentoring of that young individual and say, hey, one of you four senior people, this person I'm assigning to you, and now you need to lead them along. And if you've got questions, well, certainly you can come to me. And of course they can come to me too, but we want to maintain a little bit more of uh, they go to you first before they come to me or, or you come to me when you're having issues with that person. And by sort of stepping back and allowing those folks to have their sort of time in the sun, frankly, that relieves a lot of the pressure on me. But again, it instills in them both the sense that I trust them to do this, but also the responsibility that, hey, you're doing this. And you know you can't think about that person's success or failure as being on somebody else. You're actively involved in that. And by promoting that, 
the team has come along a lot, a long way in terms of how do they not only handle the internal relationships, but how do we reach out beyond ourselves to other teams, to other clients? And that has really, really worked well for us lately. That's important. And it goes a little bit back to the delegation piece of it, because if you're going to get comfortable delegating, there's also going to be layers of delegation, right? Which is kind of what Eric just got into. If there's some senior people that you're managing, and then there's people that are less experienced than them, you're not going to be managing everybody directly. There's going to be certain layers of it. And so you need to get used to being able to say, I'm here to help people, but I'm not going to have you know individual meetings with everybody on my team. It's just going to get too difficult to do. So you have to try to teach that next level of managers how to mentor the then younger, less experienced professionals. And that's really, to me, a critical, critical component of growing. I mean, that's how you scale a division. That's how you scale a department. In fact, to me, you see all these companies in our industries growing so quickly today with all the infrastructure work. This is where they get hung up a bit. They're not able to delegate to that next level of professionals and raise that next level of professionals. And that is super critical. So we've covered a lot here. We talked about transitioning into a team leader, which I know a lot of our listeners want to do eventually. We talked about the critical skills, communication, delegation, and how internal communication is critical and also how an introvert, just because you're an introvert doesn't mean you cannot be an effective team leader. We're going to take a very quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to wrap up by putting Eric on the civil engineering hot seat. Civil engineering podcast. Civil engineering podcast. Before we go on here, a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Simpson Strong Tie. Simpson Strong Tie is a building industry pioneer dedicated to helping people design and build safer, stronger homes, structures, and communities. Simpson Strong Tie is making a positive difference for their customers through expert engineering, world class test laboratories, and unrivaled technical support. We invite you to consider working alongside the many talented, passionate, and humble people who are all contributing to our shared mission in an environment that supports a healthy work-life balance. It's a place where you can connect, create, and build a career. Visit strongtie.com forward slash careers to learn about our culture and why Simpson Strongtie employees are our most loyal customers. We're back with Eric Thompson, licensed professional engineer, water resources engineering team leader, MSA professional services. We're going to wrap up with Eric today by putting him on the civil engineering hot seat. You ready, Eric? I'm ready. Do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, maybe a specific morning routine or a lunchtime routine or just something that you do consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to your success? Yeah, although this may be a little bit outside the box. I ride my bike to work nearly every day year round. It's about a 10 mile trip one way. So it's anywhere between 45 minutes an hour weather dependent. And that weather can be snowstorms, rainstorms, you name it. All things being equal, if I were to drive, you know, I might save another 15 or 20 minutes, but I'm still into it for that 30 minute or so commute. What I find personally is that gives me great time to ramp up in the morning. I hop on the bike, I start riding towards work and I think, What have I got going on in in the office today? And I can mentally organize myself. And on the way back, I have this chance to ramp down. I can start getting that nervous energy that I've built up all day long. I can burn that out. I get home and I'm much more engaged with my family. I'm able to kind of transition from that role of being the leader in charge to being the husband and father to my family. And it works really, really well. In addition to that, of course, I get that exercise in that would otherwise take me away from my family because I would be doing that on my own time. And so those things 
that riding a bike really makes a big difference. And I've been doing it long enough and I'm well known for it that even my clients and, and, and internal and external know about it and they're always asking me about it. And it gives you something to talk about and something in common to just sort of be that icebreaker for when you're finally, you know, when you're talking to people for whatever reason and you haven't seen them in a while. And I've also read a lot of research that says that having like a rigorous workout prior to work or school or, you know, brain activities can also be very helpful for your body to help you like ramp up kind of like you said, and then really your brain's ready to go. So that's a great habit. Eric, is there one book or author or leadership philosophy that you might have learned about throughout your career that you've kind of latched onto and has kind of stayed with you throughout your career that you've leaned on? The answer is yes and no. I'm going to start with the no answer in that I've read a lot of books and I've been to quite a number of different training exercises that are oriented towards making me a more efficient professional, making me a better leader. Some component of those has to do with, you know, what's your personality type? And I mentioned I'm an introvert. So the Myers-Briggs says I'm an ISTJ. Another type of personality test described me as a farmer hunter. So I like to go out and get the kill, but I also like to manage my data. And I'm also known as a reformer because darn it, I want things done right. And all of those things are sort of insightful, right? Hey, I learned a little bit about myself, but they're all just different enough that they allow you to kind of look at yourself as this multifaceted individual. You know, it's like, you're not just all about being an introvert. You're not just all about liking to work with the data. You know, you're not just all about efficiency and wanting things to be done right. It's a whole bunch of different things. A lot of those, however, really sort of force you to look at what can you do better. And in my experience, and maybe this is a facet of my own personality, there's a little bit of an undertone of these are the things that you're not doing well. And if you spend a lot of time focusing on those things that you're not doing well, you can really devalue those things that you're good at that have led you to the point in your career where, hey, your company's tapped you on the shoulder and says, we want to invest in you and make you a better professional, a larger contributor, and just overall more effective at your job. And if you don't latch on to that, I am good at certain things, you can kind of have your perspective twisted a little bit and it can have a little bit of an impact on your mental health. So it's really important when you think about how can I influence myself that you really truly do maintain the perspective that you're making yourself better, not focusing on these potential failures that you've got to eliminate from who you it is you are. So to give you the easy answer, the first book I ever read was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And, you know, I probably can't quote all seven of them, but some of those things like seek first to understand and then be understood, those types of just big picture ideas that you can grasp with a couple single simple sentences, I actually keep nearby me. And I refer to them on occasion just to kind of, as a refresher, you just need to sort of bone up on some of that stuff every now and then, because you get in your rut of this is how I do stuff. And every now and then you just sort of poke yourself out of the rut and say, Hey, maybe I can reevaluate things and, and sort of make a little course correction before I get too far off the rails. I'm a big believer in the 80-20 rule. 80% of your success comes from 20% of your efforts. So to your point, I want to do more of those 20% efforts that are driving my success as opposed to worrying about those other 80% that may not be my strong points. I like that philosophy a lot. I do agree with you. I think there are frameworks or things that you remember that stick with you, like seek first to understand and then be understood. And I think like one example of that is in our project management development programs, we always use the phrase that I think one of the earlier sessions as a project manager, you are the CEO of your projects. And a lot of our participants come back to us and say, hey, I really remember that from like the training, like we're now the CEO of our projects. So little things like that, I think can really stick with you 
in terms of personal development that can be very helpful in growing. So Eric, now you're a leader of a team, but if you think back on your managers of the past, and not necessarily asking to name names, but if you just think about your managers and you think about who were like your favorite managers, what made them your favorite? We're trying to identify like in the AE world, what makes for great team leaders? What are the things that great team leaders do? So my favorite leader uh, is from my second professional job. So back in my Minneapolis-St. Paul career, this guy was a certified genius and he would just walk around the office and you could see in his facial expression that he was thinking big thoughts. And he kind of took a little bit of a liking to me and took me under his wing and, and introduced me to some clients that were reasonably far away that we had to drive to. And we would sit in the car for a couple of hours and he would bequeath his knowledge on me. And he was far older than I was at the time. So this was like seriously sitting on the mount, listening to the sage. And fundamental thing, the, the sort of earth shaking thing that he told me was sometimes you got to tell your clients they're wrong. And for me, that was a really huge thing because I came from a, a firm that was really, to use a sort of a stereotypical term, yes, men, whatever the client said, that's what we want to do. What they want this project, we're going to go after it and we're going to give them exactly what they want. And there was not a lot of thought of, is this really what they need? This more recent boss, he relocated from Chicago. And he had worked in the St. Paul area for like two years before he got his first contract. And he's like, yeah, I didn't know if I was going to be with this firm very long because I couldn't land any work because I kept going into these clients and telling them what I thought. And they'd say, well, that's not what we want. Get out of here. But he stuck with it. And eventually he found some clients that listened to him. And those clients that really listened to him and respected that he took the time to understand what their issues were, what they really truly needed and what would be the best, and I'm not going to say engineering, but just the best solution. Wow. Those clients were loyal to him to the end. And I really took that to heart. And one of the ways that I dive into marketing the clients that I'm charged with going after is doing that research, figuring out what's going on having an understanding of it so we can propose something that really, truly makes sense. And I try really hard to foster that in my team and they all get behind it too. And it puts us in a position of feeling really confident when we go talk to somebody that we can offer them our opinion and stand behind our opinion for what it is we know. We've had similar experiences. Some people are like, that's not what I wanted. We don't want to work with you. But we've had some clients that we've engaged that way who've been loyal clients for us for decades. And it's been really very satisfying that way. All right. Last question we call in our civil engineering career elevator advice question. If you were to get into an elevator with an up and coming civil engineering professional, you had 30 seconds with him or her to give some career advice. What advice would you give based on your career to date? I would say to them, strive to be an expert. In the consulting world, when we're putting a proposal out for someone to hire us, a lot of times it's based on price, timeliness, and sometimes quality. I think there's an understanding at some level by certain clients that all of us engineers are equally trained and the quality will be what it is. There's like this bid mentality. But in my opinion, there's simply no compromising on quality. And any client that's really worth working for, that's got a project of importance that it needs to be done right, is going to fundamentally respect that quality comes from expertise. And if you want to establish yourself in this career and business, being that expert, being the person in the room that everybody turns to when your subject of expertise comes up is the best way to advance your career and frankly, maintain your job security. Just always, always strive to be an expert and invest in yourself that way. 
Eric Thompson, Water Resources Engineering Team Leader at MSA Professional Services. Thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Eric. I think it was an important one because I know a lot of engineers who are introverts, they just don't think that they're going to be able to cut it as a leader. And that's false from what you heard from Eric. And I hope that you'll leverage some of his advice to help you become a great project manager and a great team leader. We've really enjoyed getting to do some work with MSA through our project management development program that we've developed for them. And I'm happy that Eric came on and shared some of his insights with us. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.